Won't you grab a Bible or a phone, open it up to 2 Samuel? How many of you, uh, 2, Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 23. Dave's already prayed for us, but I was reflecting on it this, um, early this morning and then also through this week. How many of you feel, um, feel ready for a sermon now? Yeah, there are a couple, um, <clears throat> which is great. Uh, how many of you feel like well unprepared to sit and listen for the next hour and a half to a sermon? You think I'm joking. That's my birthday. Huh? No, I'm kidding. You know, when we come to, when we come to church every week, obviously the, the sermon, the message is a big part of what we do every week. We worship, we sing, we pray, we give. But we, we believe, we have a high belief that God speaks through his word. And I often pray before I preach kind of thing. But one thing that we're not good at always doing is praying for ourselves. Um, that, hey, Lord, would you speak to me? Uh, you know, you could be out on your mountain bike now. Uh, that would be a, a, a good thing to be doing. Um, you know, you should do it before church or after church. But you could be in a million other places, but you're sitting here this morning. And um, I'm mentioning this because you know, some of you may not be too used to coming to church. Uh, I'm looking around and I see there's some faces that don't come here regularly. Maybe you've been invited, maybe you've wandered in. Now you're stuck, you, you're embarrassed to leave. And uh, you don't listen to many sermons or whatever, and you're not sure even why you're here this morning. And I want to spend just a few seconds, a minute, for you to pray yourself. So, Lord, would you get my heart ready to receive from you? Um, this is the mystery of how God, God works. And we're going to speak about it a bit in what, the passage we look at today. That God, God uses this process of, of, of people getting up here, opening up the Bible and speaking to, to, to strengthen us, to speak to us, to reveal himself um, to us. It's a foolish, clumsy, clunky kind of method, but that's how God's ordained it and how it works. Uh, and yet, when we hear, sometimes our minds are somewhere else, you know, you're physically present, mentally absent, and, or you've had a, the kind of week from hell, and you just, now your mind is already into next week, you're stressing, you're worrying about whatever else, and you'll catch like a third of what I say, which I understand, because I also, I'm growing up listening to sermons, and I, wanna, I want us to pray for ourselves. I'm doing the speaking, you're doing the listening this morning, and pray for yourself, Lord, would you speak to me? Whatever I need to hear, because not all of it's going to be important for you, but there's something that you need to hear this morning. So let's, let's do that. Pray for yourselves, and then I'm going to pray for us as we come um, to look at God's Word this morning. Father, we, we pray it every week, and, and we declare it again this morning to be true that the, the, what we most need is to hear the voice of the living God, the one who made us, the one who loves us. We need not to just hear your voice, but we need to know more of your character. We need to understand more of your ways, who you've made us, what you're calling us to, what you're calling us out of. We pray that you would speak to us this morning. We pray that you would give us ears to hear you. You give us hearts to receive from you this morning. We don't want to just go through the motions here this morning. We want to hear from the living God. We want you to change us. We want you to love us. We want you to encourage us and to help us. We thank you that you do this through your word and by the ministry of the Holy Spirit amongst us. And so... 
collectively we look at you now and say, Father, would you do that again? You're faithful to do it again and again. We pray this morning, would you do that for our good and for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you're in 2 Samuel 23. Hey, if, you, if you've missed like the whole of the series on the life of David, you came on the right morning. Because this is like the second last one, and it's like a summary of all the other weeks, basically. So you could have taken like a couple of months off of church, and you've come this morning, you are getting everything in one sermon. Some of you are terrified by the thought of that idea. Um, let's read uh, these seven verses that we're going to look at this morning, and then uh, I'm going to break them down. We're going to deal with a couple uh, at a time as we look at 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 to 7. These are, as you'll see, maybe in your Bible on your phone, it's recorded as David's last words. David's last words. Um, this is like David's like farewell speech. It's not his actual last words like on his deathbed, but it's recorded and it's phrased in this way, David's last words. Like This is an important kind of farewell speech, something like a summary of his life and stuff that he wants to have captured and remembered. So it's, it's weighty and it's important. And then, then next week, we're going to round out our, our, look, our series at the life of David, looking at the worshiping life of David, David the worshiper. So let's have a look at 2 Samuel from chapter 23, verse 1. These are the last words of David. The declaration of David, son of Jesse. The declaration of the man raised on high. The one anointed by the God of Jacob. This is the most delightful of Israel's songs. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, The one who rules the people with justice, who rules in the fear of God, is like the morning light when the sun rises on a cloudless morning, the glisten of rain on sprouting grass. Is it not true my house is with God? For he has established a permanent covenant with me, ordered and secured in every detail. Will he not bring about my whole salvation and my every desire? But all the wicked are like thorns raked aside. They can never be picked up by hand. The man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear. They will be completely burned up on the spot. That's as far as we're going to go in David's last words. The rest of it is him listing his uh, exploits and his mighty men. There are five things, if you're a note taker, there's five things we're going to look at today that I think are important for us to zero in on these last words of David. <clears throat> and the first one uh, deals with identity. The first one deals with identity. Here is David in his farewell speech reflecting on who he is. He's reflecting on his identity. As we looked at last week, David is now old. He is near death. We're not sure how old David was when he died. Sort of maybe 70s, 80s. Not super old. Um, but here he is old. He's reflecting back uh, over his life. These are the last words of David. The declaration of this, David, the son of Jesse. Let me outline some of the things that he mentions here in his identity. The son of Jesse. The son of Jesse. A man raised on high, anointed by God, and the one whom the people sang joyfully about. You remember, maybe many, many, many years ago, even many weeks ago, we looked at the songs that the people would sing about David. They sang songs about David that were better than the songs they sang about Saul, and Saul hated that and wanted to kill David because of that. David was one in whom the people celebrated 
um, they looked at him and they saw the, the grace of God on his life. Just think with me briefly over the whole life of David. The whole life of David. He's summarizing it here. He's saying, I'm the son of Jesse. Remember that day? Hey, remember that day, David, when you were out there tending the sheep and Samuel came looking for a new king to anoint? And you weren't there, you weren't invited because you were looking after the sheep. That was your job. And then eventually none of the other brothers were the king and they called you in. And then you wandered smelling like sheep, wondering what you were doing. And this old man Samuel anointed you as the future king of Israel. And from that day, it said the spirit of God came on him. And from that day on, his life was never ever the same. Before then, he acknowledges that God had protected him as a shepherd. He lived out with the sheep and lions and bears attacked them and God gave him strength to overcome them. He moves on from his anointing and what's one of the first commissions God gives him? Not a commission, Goliath. I mean, if you know nothing in the Bible, none of the stories, you know the story of David and Goliath. God helps him to defeat Goliath. Defeat Goliath, he's on the run from Saul who's jealous and wants to kill him and it's massively shaping influence in his life. He goes through battles and wars and attempted coups and family dysfunction. He slips up big time and sleeps with Bathsheba and ends up having her husband murdered and lying to the whole nation and trying to cover his tracks. And he experiences the extravagant forgiveness of God in his own life. God blesses David's life with wives and sons and daughters and makes to David extravagant covenant promises that through his line there would always be a descendant of David sitting on the throne of Israel and that he would establish his throne forever. The covenant that God makes with David is a forever covenant. As David reflects on his life, what does he say Yeah, I'm a man raised on high. God took me from relative obscurity and put me in the position that I'm in. David didn't fill out an application form to be the king of Israel. David didn't sign up for something. He sent out his CV all over the jaw. God plucked him from obscurity and anointed him and raised him on high. And the people sang about him. Why am I saying this? Because as David reflects on his life and his identity, he understands, he's got clear eyes and clear vision that all of this is from God. All of it is from God. What's, what's your identity? What are, you all, what are you all about? If I bump into you and meet you, what would you say? How, how would you describe yourself? Is it on what you can do, on your achievements, where you work, who you're related to? And maybe all of those things and those things may be helpful. But I want to press our buttons again this morning and say that the, the things that are most fundamentally true about us are the things that are true about us in relationship to God. That God has given you an identity. He has called you to himself and made you a son or a daughter of his. That is your, the, the primary and truest thing about you this morning if you're a believer in Jesus. If you're not, then it's not, it's not the truest thing about you. There's something else that's true about you. And all of this, as David said, all of this is from God. All of this is from God. David recognizes and he looks back over his whole life and he says, all of this is from God. If it, if it not from God, he would still be looking after sheep. All of this is from God. When you look around at your own life, how much do you live with a real-time appreciation and realization that everything that you have and can do is a blessing from God? It's a blessing from God. If God had not given it to you, you wouldn't have it. 
And people push back against this. They, they love to push back. No, I work hard for everything I have. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you don't work hard. But we know that the world's not an equal place, is it? The hardest workers do not have the most. And who gave you the ability to work hard? Who gave you the intelligence? Who gave you the skills? Who gave you the opportunities? Who allowed you to be born into the family that you're in? If you were born in a different family in a different part of the world without the unique opportunities and privileges God gave you, your life may have turned out completely differently. All of the goodness that has come into your life has come from the hand of God. And it's given to you to steward for his purposes and his glory, not for you just to simply enjoy, guys. He has made all of us stewards of gifts that he has given us. And it's all from him. And it should cause our hearts to just burst with appreciation and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I woke up this morning on my birthday. And uh, I'm going to just keep punching these balloons. This is actually a great, every time I want to make a point, I'm just going to flick that yellow one there. Who gave me, who gave me breath, breath on my 45th birthday to be able to get up, come here, be with you? God, if God didn't will it, I wouldn't be standing here this morning and you wouldn't be sitting there. We're so dependent on God for your next breath. That's how wired we are. And it should cause us to live as gracious and grateful people. So thank you, Lord. All of this is from you. You have done these things and we worship you. The first thing David is clear on is, is, is his identity. I am David, son of Jesse, a man raised on high, anointed by God. The second thing you see in this Farewell speech of David's is prophecy. Have a look at verse 2 and 3. The spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me. David's very clear on a very uh, powerful and interesting dynamic. And I mentioned it a bit earlier that how God, how God speaks. God has chosen to speak through people. That's, that's, that's what we're going to see here. We're going to see a prophecy of David's in the next verses. But he says there, verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me his word on my tongue. It's like David's doing the speaking, but it's actually God speaking. And that's how, that's how God works. Now, doesn't mean that everything David said were the words of the Lord. Absolutely not. But here, this, this prophecy is and David acknowledges it, from the Lord. The Spirit of God was on him. The God of Israel spoke. The Rock of Israel had said to him. I want to I speak a bit about this because there's some confusion uh, around this. And I want to I just teach a little bit on, on, on prophecy. Yeah. Um, on the different types of it. Prophecy is, is a few different things. And you see this um, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and some, the, the reason why some people are nervous of prophecy is because they think it only exists in the, in the realm of like foretelling, like predicting the future, like a Christian version of, um, what, what's those balls? Crystal balls, thank you. It's just English bundle is running out so early in the day. Like, it's a Christian, version of a, a, a Christian version of a crystal ball. Like we can look into the future and woo, you know. And I mean, I'm, I, I've been around as a professional Christian for long enough. There are some weird people out there who, who overcook this kind of thing and like, the Lord loves you and I've got a wonderful plan for your life. And they come with these like weird prophetic visions and things. And I remember sitting in my office the one time 
at our old church, a lady came in. She said, I was at a prayer meeting kind of thing. Somebody had a prophetic word over my life that I should go to China and smuggle Bibles in there. And I was like, hectic. She's like, so I just want to know how I can go. And I'm like, what do you mean? She said, no, will you send me to go and smuggle Bibles into China? I said, well, don't you want to first sort of kind of check that that maybe is what the Lord wants you to do? Like, did you ask anyone if this is true or did you weigh this up? Or who else have you spoken to about, you know, this thing? She said, no, no, no. When I felt like the Lord was speaking to me, it was very clear. The first person was very confident. They really felt like the Lord laid this on their heart for me. And I'm like, but you're about to go and smuggle Bibles into China because some random person at a prayer meeting you went to said, hey, this is the Lord's plan for your life. And managed to, over time, dissuade her because I, I didn't think it was what the Lord wanted her to do. Um, but you can see how this can go properly sideways when people pretend or claim to speak on God's behalf. Guys, it's a terrifying and responsible thing to speak on behalf of God. Spiritual leaders like myself, we can get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. You know, you're looked up to as a spiritual leader. I wound up to you and say, I feel like the Lord's saying this in your life. And you're like, okay. You know, you're booking your ticket to China to go smuggle Bibles in because you feel like, I didn't hear from the Lord, but that person obviously did. You know, we've got the big red phone and the Lord speaks to us and then, and then we come and speak to you. That's how it works. It's not, it's not exactly how it works. It does sometimes work like that. It does. I've been in situations where we have heard people speak and other people who have the gift of this have foretold the future and it has come to pass like that. You see that in the scriptures and I think it's still a gift that happens today. But I think it needs to be weighed carefully and not used flippantly. So there's foretelling, there's foretelling, there's foretelling. Preaching falls into an area of prophecy. You're speaking forth the words of God. Are you with me? God has already spoken. So when I jump up on you on Sunday and I preach the Bible and I just, we go through verse by verse by verse, I am forth telling, I'm not predicting the future, I'm just telling forth something that has already been said, God has already spoken and I'm just repeating his words to us and God does something in that. And then there's a collision of, of the two almost, where sometimes in the forth telling, in the preaching, in the repeating of God's words, there is a, a work of the spirit that is so immediate that it feels like something else is going on. Have you ever been in a sermon, maybe not mine, but other sermons, uh, where uh, you will walk away or you've heard somebody else say this, it felt like God was speaking just to me. Have you ever had that? You just feel like God is just like you were the only person in the room. It's just like, bang. And it was maybe stuff you've heard before. It wasn't a new passage. You're like, wowzers, I've never even heard that story before, that truth. It's something you'd heard before. But the situation of your life, the current circumstance collided with what, what God was saying on that day for your benefit, for your blessing, for revelation for you. I've seen that again and again and again. I've experienced it multiple times in my life where it feels like God just zeroes in on you and he is speaking to you. Guys, when that happens, you need to stop what you're doing. You need to stop what you're doing and listen and respond. When the living God speaks to you, he is not a God who is either worthy or enjoys being ignored. He is speaking, and you need to stop whatever you're doing and respond to whatever it is that he is saying in that real-time thing. There is a prophetic edge um, and urgency to what God says as he applies timeless truths uh, in, a, in a timeless way. It's a massive, massive gift when we sense that. And, and, and David had, in some ways, a, a prophetic gift. God spurred on him, God speaking through him. Um, you can read it for homework uh, you can go read Psalm 22. 
Psalm 22 is a, is a messianic psalm. It's a psalm about the Messiah who would come. David is just writing a psalm. He has no idea how accurate everything that he says in Psalm 22. He says, they cast lots for my clothing. Huh? No, they didn't, David. They didn't. But he's writing under the prophetic weight of God. And one day you go to the cross and you see what they do with Jesus' clothes and you realize, David, you didn't even know what you were saying, but the Lord was speaking through you. And David recognizes this to some degree that the Lord is speaking through him and has been speaking through him in his life. The third thing we see is kingdom. Third thing we see is kingdom. Second part of verse three, the one who rules the people with justice who rules in the fear of God is like the morning light when the sun rises on a cloudless morning, the glisten of rain on sprouting grass. This is a prophecy about what it would be like to live under the true and righteous king. He's not talking about himself. He's not saying this is what it's going to be like when I'm the king. He's, he, he's almost done being the king. And he was a up and down king, good and bad in equal measure, maybe. This is a prophecy around what it would be like the one who rules the people with justice, who rules in the fear of God. And his, his, his prophecy is around the coming Messiah, the true and eternal king. How many of you just feel frustrated living in South Africa under our leaders? Yeah, I mean, no one's going to put their hand up. But I think collectively in South Africa, we just like roll our eyes a little bit. It's like, oh, Lord, would you please send us leaders who actually are not corrupt? I'm not saying they all are. But there's a lot of them who are corrupt, who are incompetent, who just seem to serve themselves. And it causes a lot of people to want to leave South Africa. So, no, South Africa's on a down, you know, it's all going down. If this, these people take over, it's going to get even worse. It gets around to election time. You wonder, scratching your head, who to vote for? A new party pop, pops up. Maybe, maybe this time these guys will, will sort the problem out. You think, well, let's emigrate. Let's go to America. You know, it's much simpler there. Uh, you know? <laughs> John's just like, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> you know, you've only got two people to pick from there kind of thing. And they just go backwards and forwards. It's like you look around. The point I'm trying to make is you look around the world and you won't find a place where you look at an earthly leader and think, amazing, perfect leader. The world suffers under, I'm not going to call it the tyranny, but the effects of ungodly leaders. Some of them are trying their best. Others are just flat out wicked and awful. And what David says is there's a day that's coming. There's a day that's coming when there will be one who rules. And he will rule in the fear of God. And his rule will feel like this. It'll feel like the morning light when the sun rises on a cloudless morning. It'll feel like the glistening rain on sprouting grass. David, the poet, kicking into full poet mode here. Um, I don't like poetry. Um, I hated it at school. It still leaves me a bit cold. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Um, I never understood it. I don't understand poets. And just say what you mean. Don't all this flowery. I don't understand. Like, do you know when you do those exercises in school? where they give you the poem and they go, what do you think the poet means? I'll be like, I have no flipping clue what this person is on. <laughs> Talking all this flowery language is just not me. But David is saying, it's kind of like this, like when you wake up in the morning and it's quiet and it's beautiful and it has all the promise of a new day. 
and there's a, just a clear sky. And you look at the grass and it's just glistening and it's, got, it's, it's wet and it's signs of growth and it's pure and it's clean. He, he's, he's scratching around in nature um, for imagery that helps us to understand that it's the best possible thing when this ruler rules over us. Some of you have not seen the morning light when the sun rises on a cloud this morning for a while. Some of you are more night owls. Uh, you know, I, I read this and I was, I was remembering when we lived in Seattle um, for a year. And I was just like, man, that, in Seattle in summer is the most beautiful place in the world for about six weeks. And then after that, it's just gray and awful. And we went 42 days without seeing the sun. Um, that was very, very tough. So when I read this, it's like, it's like the morning light when the sun rises on a cloudless day. I was remembering those days and thinking, we do appreciate those mornings. Hey, when you're up early, you go to the beach. And one of the things I was thinking of around the sun rising is that it's a, always a promise of faithfulness. We do it with our kids when we go to Durban on holiday. We sort of try and do it two or three times because you don't want to over, overdo the sunrises with the kids because then they get tired later in the day. We say, come, guy, get them out of bed, go there. And you know, we sit on the beach waiting for the sun to rise. And you know what? We're not sitting there thinking, will it, won't it? You know, let's, ho let's hope, guys. Let's hope. Let's hope it comes up this morning. I mean, you got out of bed for this. Like, yeah. We sit there fully expecting that the sun's going to come up. Fully expecting. And it's a, it's a sign that um, life under this perfect king is a life experiencing his ongoing covenant faithfulness. That his love is always the same. His grace is always the same. He's never turning away. He's never giving up. He's just faithful, 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 and good, and glorious, and wonderful. It's flourishing in every sense. And it's here in some ways, but it's not here fully. This is the two-part thing of the, of the kingdom coming. Jesus says, um, when he came, if I do all of these things, then you know that the kingdom has come amongst you. And then he says, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. You don't know the time, but I'm coming back. And when I come back, fully and finally, I will establish my kingdom in all its authority. So for now, we live in this in-between where we experience some of the rule of God's kingdom now, breaking in all over the world, but not the fullness of it yet. That's why there's still death and disease and sickness and stuff like that. But in the new kingdom, none of those things will be there. As I reflected on this, I think one of the most important things for us is to, is to remind ourselves so that we don't buy the lie that living under the rule of Jesus as our king means that we miss out. That it's like, we know it's good for us. It's like, I suppose it's like being vegan. You know, it's good for you, but it's just, it's awful. It's like you miss out on... Oh, oh, I'm a, if you're a vegan, that's fine. I, I don't even know what vegans can and can't eat, but... Um, you know, you know, it's good for you, but it's just, it sucks. It's, it's just, you can't eat lack of things and it's, life is complicated and whatever else. And some people feel like that's Christianity. It's like, I know it's good for me, but I don't get to do all these other lack of things and it's like, it just cramps my style and it just feels like a, a straitjacket, but it's good for me. It's like vegetables. You know, it, it, some of us have that view and it's not the view of the Bible, is it? It's not the view of the scriptures. Jesus says, I came that they may have life. And life in all of its fullness. Life more abundantly, not just life. He came to give us the best of everything. Guys, walking with Jesus is the most liberating, life-giving way to live. 
It's not a prison. It's not a burden. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is what? Light. If you're walking with it heavy, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You need more of this in your life. It's, it's life-giving. It's freedom. Jesus says, whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. Living under Jesus, this wonderful king, don't buy the lie that you're going to miss out on all this other lack of stuff that the rest of the world get to have. Joel doing whatever else. Uh, here we are at church, uh, Christians. Uh, you know, the BC, the good old days. No, no, no. Those are your days of slavery. Those are your days of slavery that screwed up your life and God has to undo all the damage you try to inflict on yourself back in those days. And if you think I'm lying, just sit with yourself for a bit longer. Yeah. Think of how you have tried to sabotage your own happiness by your own stupidity. And I'm not pointing a finger at you. I, I can come sit here with you. I've done it again and again to myself. I've had to undo a whole bunch of the stupid, sinful stuff in my life. Guys, when you walk with Jesus, there's freedom and life there. Don't buy the lie that walking outside of his kingship and his rulership, there's freedom and life there. Nope. He is the life-giving king. He is the most generous, gracious, giving being in the universe. You cannot outgive God. You can't out-enjoy life without Him. It doesn't work like that, guys. It doesn't work like that. Kingdom. The fourth and second last one, David reflects on covenant. He says, Is it not true my house is with God? For He has established a permanent covenant with me, ordered and secured in every detail. Will He not bring about my whole salvation and my every desire? Just have a look at those words there. Who's done the establishing? He has established a permanent covenant with me, ordered and secured in every detail. Will he not bring it about? Will he not bring it about? David has such absolute confidence that the forever promise that God made to him will come to pass. And that forever promise is what I alluded to it earlier, that through the lineage of David, there would always be a king on, over Israel, and that forever kingdom would rule. And it's exactly what's happened. You go and you track the lineage of David, and all the way down and along comes Jesus, the forever king. And Jesus now rules as the forever king over his kingdom, over his people, never to be unseated, never to be overthrown. Nothing will change that. God has and is being true to the covenant promise he made to David. The last thing is judgment. Verse 5 and 7, I mean, uh, 6 and 7, but all the wicked are like thorns raked aside. They can never be picked up by hand. The man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear. They will be completely burned up on the spot. More poetry, more imagery. What is David saying here? Not everyone's part of the kingdom. That's what he's saying. Not everyone's part of the kingdom. You know, guys, this is something. This is this is a weighty part of of this um, passage of David's final words. There are some parts of the scriptures that are heavier and harder to deal with, but the interesting thing is that God's not embarrassed about His own words. He's not. 
It's not God's like, hey, I love all of you, and, but by the way, there's this thing like where those of you who reject me and reject my kingdom are just going to like not be with me for all eternity. I'm so embarrassed to have to admit it. Like, God's not embarrassed about it. God's just like, this is how it is. I'm a good and gracious king. I made you for myself. If you reject me, you will live without me and the consequences of it for all eternity. That's it. That's what he says. And there's a day coming where we'll all stand before the judge, the true and righteous judge, and he'll say, how did you respond to the free offer of life in my name, of forgiveness through the cross, of reconciliation through Jesus? Have you responded to that and placed your faith in me? If you have, enter into my forever kingdom. If not, you'll be rejected. You will be rejected and sent away into eternity without the living God. That's, that's not a message I came up with. That's what it says in the Bible. That's what God has said. And like I said, he's not embarrassed about it. It's not like he's like, guys, I got such bad news. I, I feel terrible telling you this. He's just like, this is how it is. Because I'm God. And because the offer of the gospel, the offer of free life and forgiveness in Jesus is just that. It's free. It's just something you respond to. If you, if you had to, if you had to jump through hoops of fire, and work your way into God's good books and stack up enough brownie points uh, in the Christian-like thing and your good works needed to outweigh your bad works, then it'd be maybe understandable to be upset with God, to say, well, you didn't quite measure up your XP level, you didn't quite get there, so off you go. You didn't put in all the effort. But that's not how it works, guys. It's not how it works. It's all just a free gift of responding to the grace of God that calls you out of darkness and into light. But the truth of it is that not everyone will be part of this kingdom. And it gets up my nose when some Christians celebrate that. There's nothing to celebrate. There's nothing to celebrate that some people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because it should break our hearts. It should devastate us. It should cause us to pray. It should cause us to share. It should cause us to love people and serve them. And do whatever we can to convince them of the reality of the message of Jesus. It shouldn't be a flippant thing. It's like, okay, well, I feel safe. You know, sorry for you. At least I'm in. You know, that, that's nonsense. If that's your attitude, you, know, you need a heart check there. It should break our hearts that there are some who will not be part of the kingdom of God. And we should give all of ourselves to making sure that as many people as possible, we can love into and share the gospel so they join into the kingdom of God. Be that in here and in the nations of the world. Because judgment is real. Let me close with this passage from 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. This is such a sobering and life-giving life summary. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Guys, the, the sobering reality of, of, of David's last words are, are summed up in this. David knew the life that's in God because God had raised him up and anointed him and called him to himself. And he enjoyed that spectacular sin all in, the, all in the midst of it, he knew the living God. My question to you this morning is, do you know the Son? 
do you have life in his name? That's why the Bible's been written, so that you would come to know the Son of God and have life in his name. Because if you don't have that, you don't have life. You don't have life. You may be living, you may be having fun, you may be jawling, things may be going great, but you don't have what you most need. There's still an emptiness, there's an insufficiency, there'll be an endless chasing after the wind in your life. Your soul will never ever be satisfied until you come to find the life that is only found in the Son, in Jesus. And for those of us who have found that, this morning again we get to celebrate that He's the one who found us, He's the one who raised us up, He's the one who called us to Himself, He's the one who's keeping us forever, He's the one who makes permanent covenant commitments and keeps them, and He's given us a new identity in him and so when we come to celebrate communion that's what we're remembering that it's all because of jesus he's made us completely new he's turned our lives absolutely on our heads isn't he wonderful let's pray together we are having communion am i, I just want to clarify that, that where's somebody oh matt thank you let's pray together Father, we worship you this morning because you've given us an identity that we could never um, construct for ourselves. We could never carve out, we could never find it, we could never achieve it. But in your grace and in your kindness and in your goodness, you have made us sons and daughters of the living God. <clears throat> and the truest thing about us is that we are loved by you for all eternity. We are kept by you. Every step of our lives is ordered by you. Everything that we have comes from you. And all of our joy 